Welcome to Healthcare IT Today. I'm John Lin, together with my colleague and friend, Colin Hung. The world of technology and healthcare ever-changing in new and novel ways, and that's why we love this stuff. So join us as we discuss the latest healthcare and health IT news meshed together in new ways which help generate ideas and new perspectives. Plus, we'll have a little fun along the way. And today we'll be asking the question, is AI eating healthcare? And be sure to follow the show on social media at the hashtag HITSM and our personal accounts at TechGuy and at Colin underscore Hung. Plus, check out our 17 years of health IT blog content at healthcareittoday.com. I love this callback. Uh, you know, I, I think it was uh, Andreessen Horowitz, uh, <laughs> founder of, of Netscape. He said, "Software is going to eat the world." Uh, so, is AI eating healthcare? What do you think? <laughs> I don't know if it's going to eat healthcare, but uh, today it's a lot to eat. <laughs> it's a lot to eat, <laughs> and maybe maybe some people want it to. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> but it's uh, definitely. I think uh, AI is is the dominant topic of the moment, right? Like you can't go anywhere, uh, whether it's in the consumer world, whether it's just in the business world, without running into something around AI. And in healthcare, it's been the hot topic du jour for sure. And it's interesting how it aligns with the burnout that's happening right now because AI done well actually improves burnout, makes you more efficient, makes you enjoy your job more because AI does eat the, the the mundane tasks that none of us really want to do. So I think that's really interesting. Yeah, I think, I mean, I agree with you. I, I think definitely... Um, uh, AI, you know, in my mind, has a play in that efficiency side. I'm not sure it has a play on the, uh, or that we're ready yet for it to play really hard on the clinical side. But it, I mean, I definitely think AI right now is having a moment, right? Like you, you couldn't walk down the aisles of Vive or Hymns without running into at least 70% of the, of the booths talking about AI something. Right or the fact that they had AI or doing something with AI, so definitely uh, it's it's definitely having its moment right now. Yeah, I mean, I jokingly tweeted out that it's great that every hymns company has become an AI company that solves burnout and revenue. So, <laughs> which which is what you just described. Yeah, you know what's funny though is I'm not I'm not 100 percent sure. Is it truly just people jumping on the uh, I'll call it marketing brand wagon and the power of AI and the fact that it's on the minds of everyone? Or is it that, you know, they think companies are thinking that without mentioning it, or if they don't have an AI strategy, that they won't get funding. All right. Or they won't get customers, right? Like I, I I'm curious to figure to find that out. I mean, it's definitely a customer play. Uh, the funding, you know, is is challenging, especially at Hims. You know, you don't see as many startups unless you go to the startup area, right? Sure. Uh, you know, most of them. You know, same with Vive. You know, you don't get as many. You get more established companies that are doing AI, which their customers are probably saying, "What's your AI strategy?" But I actually think the reason that AI is having a moment is this acceleration of data processing power and and then just all of that kind of coming together along with storage and bandwidth to be able to share that data and all those things like all of those have come together and i think it was actually at one of the conferences i heard this ai uh, expert talking that like it, it is that that natural curve right where right. it's like right now we're like wait ai's coming ai's coming and then it just boom you like the the innovation around it 
and what it's able to do, just hockey sticks, right? And and I think we're seeing that hockey stick right now because of the processing power and the data that can be applied to that processing power that's allowing AI to have that moment and allow what we always dreamed about and watched in your favorite sci-fi movies, you know, that, you know, is now actually a reality. And you can see that it's, it's like you, when you see certain AI implementations, you're like, Oh, this is here. Yeah. I I think no doubt. I mean, without the infrastructure that we have now, AI that we're talking about today wouldn't have been possible. Like how high-speed internet has made streaming possible, has made all these other industries possible that didn't exist before. AI is having that moment because we have, you're right, like the storage, the the bandwidth, the computing power, right? Even though we're still sort of short of chips, right? Like, it, you know, it, it's all now possible. Um, and and I think, yeah, I think it's captured the imagination of people as they see some of these early implementations of AI, especially in healthcare, right? Um, but you know, it, it's to me, it's still uh, early. I mean, it's very early days, uh, and certainly the technology to me, it, you know, is very impressive. And I think there's a really interesting future for it to be applied in healthcare. But it's still pretty narrow. Like, you know, as much as you know, I'd love the, you know, not that I love, but you know, as much as I, you know, hear the stories about, you know, how we're we heading towards Terminator and Skynet, and <laughs> you know, you look at what these AI tools are doing. It's like it's it's writing text, right? Like it's yeah. it's figuring it's figuring out what temperature the room should be. It's optimizing someone's schedule, right? It, it's not like operating. Like you know, we've had we've had autopilots forever on airplanes. Like no one's complained about that, right? Like that taking the, the the functionality of AI that we have today, although is it impressive, is still very narrowly focused, which you know is really great for the t- kind of task work that you're talking about, John. Like where you know, hey, it can be really a fantastic efficiency play. Yeah, I think the thing that's really exciting right now is the whole large language models and taking all of the language and knowledge that's available on the internet and doing something cool with it, enabling people to do things to that, you know, and it's doing things more efficiently than you would have previously. And, and I, you know, I was talking with someone recently, they're like, well, where do they get all this data? And I told them, and you know, I, I don't have a good source for this, but I imagine for like $50 million or a hundred million dollars, you could have the entire internet of data you know like it's not that expensive now right because the spiders have been crawling it and getting all of that data it's pretty inexpensive relative to what you know when you think google did that originally right like and spend billions of billions of dollars trying to figure out how do we do this and has you know over the years spent you know who knows probably in the trillions at that point but you know like but now you know for 50 to 100 million dollars you have the entire breadth of knowledge that's been shared on the internet, which is just about everything. And so to me, that access to that amount of data to be able to train these learning models with the processing power that doesn't take, you know, six months or a year to do, but it can actually do it quickly and understand the whole breadth of knowledge that is the internet. Uh, that's where it's so powerful. And we're seeing that applied a lot of ways, including, you know, genomics is going to be the same problem, right? Instead right. of words, though, it's going to be biomarkers and, and different things like that. But it's the same problem, you know, it's the same scale of a problem that we have, uh, you know, in the rest of the internet. Yeah. And, and actually, that kind of brings up the question I wanted to ask you, John. You know, 
we know that healthcare produces a lot of data. You know, by some estimates, it's like thirty percent of the world's data is actually healthcare related. Uh, crawling that, you know, accessing, you know, applying AI to that would be very exciting. But where are you seeing some exciting deployments uh, in terms of AI and healthcare? Yeah, I mean, there's so many. So it's it's become the hot topic on healthcare IT today. It's been most of the interviews, but you know, like you know, if you look at someone like H2O AI that's providing the tools of AI to any company that wants it or any organization that wants it, that's really interesting, right? Because they can do it across, you know, uh, PDFs versus you know granular data versus every, you know whatever solution you're trying to do, you can use something like that, which is really interesting. And and I think all of this AI talk is going to accelerate companies like that. Then you know you have other ones like Amwell who acquired Conversa and how they're applying the AI to telehealth and remote patient monitoring, which is is a cool area, right? Uh, I saw a company Atropos Health, which goes in and looks at all of the the real world data to give you an analysis of the information that's available based on real world data to help you treat a patient. And you know you talked about like the clinical sides behind when you see what Atropos does. It's like wow, that's incredible on a you know on a on a clinical side of things to be able to provide that type of detailed health clinical data to an individual patient, but it's based on real world data rather than study data because in many cases there is no study data <laughs> for the diseases that need to be done. And then you also have on the administrative side companies like Outbound AI that are looking at how do I do this administrative stuff or even uh, boss and software systems, right, with their RPA and, and things like that that are are saying, how do I address all of this administrative overhead? And so, I mean, those are a few that kind of stand out for me. Yeah, for me, the, the ones that stand out in terms of the application is anything around improving workflow, right? Because I think mentally, uh, culturally, we're ready for that. We're ready for AI to help us improve and prioritize and help us be more efficient as as individuals. Yeah. You know, I look at lo- I look at what a lot of the um, companies at RSNA are doing, right, with imaging image processing, whether that was GE Healthcare or Siemens or Ramsoft or you know companies like that um, that were looking at um, you know that stack of of images that a radiologist had to read and kind of looking at them all and going, well, you know, these ones look normal. Um, so you can probably just prioritize those as you normally would, but boy, these ones here, they look like they have something abnormal in them, something a little bit odd. Maybe you want to prioritize these ones first, right? Because otherwise it's just first in, first out. Uh, but yeah. now with, with AI tools, they can be more efficient by looking at the ones that it has flagged to say something's different here. So it's not making that diagnosis. It's not seeing if you have cancer or not, but it's making that radiologist so much more effective. And in turn, improving the patient experience. So I'm excited about those types of technologies. I'm also excited about um, some of the technologies that are coming in around, you know, the chatbot style stuff, mm-hmm. right? Which allow people to navigate healthcare a little bit better, right? That can answer some questions about medications. It can answer some questions about, you know, hey, what am I supposed to be doing ahead of this uh, appointment? You know, should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? And you don't necessarily want to tie up a nurse for that. Um, so a simple AI to answer those kinds of questions, to guide the people to the right point of access, right, before they talk to the agent. To me, those are really effective and exciting ways. I mean, I even saw, you know, how companies like Innovalon, right, and and Waystar on the RCM side are using AI to improve those processes. So I'm definitely excited about a lot of those workflows. 
Yeah, and Orbit is doing some interesting stuff with voice and the chatbot that you talked about to answer some of those questions. You know, one of the coolest things I saw at, at Hims was uh, Belong.life. They created this uh, conversational AI chatbot, but for the cancer patients in their community. And it's built off of the data from all of those cancer patients. That they, and they have a huge number of, of, of the cancer patients that use their application to understand and to evaluate what they should do. And it was incredible how it could take all of that data and present it. You could ask questions like, you know, I actually did it with the thyroid cancer. I said, tell me about thyroid cancer and what you should expect. Right. And it spit out a really specific answer that was very different. You know, I'm interested to see, you know, what is Wooler's Clue going to do with their up to date software? They have all the data, you know, but can we put a conversational AI front end to make it more useful? I think that that's really interesting. Of course, you know, I have to mention ambient clinical voice, which we've talked about many times, but we're seeing an acceleration of competition in that space. Sure, Nuance has DAX and has DAX Express, which they announced, but Ambience Healthcare is in there. On Point Healthcare Partners is coming, and you know, for that same ambient clinical voice space, Suki's doing a, a little different approach with more kind of templated voice commands, and we'll see how that continues to evolve and where they go with it. So, you know, those are exciting things. Um, you know, anyway, I could talk forever. Like sick bay is another <laughs> one I was just thinking of, which with their virtual ICU, it's like, okay, well you have all this data coming from your virtual ICU, but how do you process all that data? Well, the answer to that is going to be AI that's processing all the signals and data from the different sensors, devices, cameras, etc. that know, oh, this one is actually in need of you more than someone else who's doing fine. The signals are looking good. And then I'll just throw in one more before I <laughs> give up the mic, but you know, like the security vendors, uh, there is so much data with attacks and hacks and phishing, et cetera. AI is going to be the way to solve that because humans can't go through the logs, right? So companies like Proofpoint, Fortinet, CrowdStrike, they're going to be leveraging AI to facilitate your security efforts because you just literally can't go through all of the attacks. And to be fair, 99% of the attacks, 99.9% of the attacks don't matter because they're not actually breaching you. They're just attacking you and you blocked it effectively. So it's knowing those abnormalities there. You know, even VMware, I, I talked to them recently about their how they're using AI to monitor either your workstation or your server and know what its normal behavior is. And then if it sees something that's outside of your normal behavior, it alerts you to it and you can go and investigate and address it. So anyway. There you go. No, those are great. I mean, I, I, you know, just to add on that really quickly, I mean, I had a recent discussion with Netscout, right, and the teams there around this very issue and how they're using AI to improve performance and to monitor. And when they see something that's abnormal, uh, regular to regular server behavior, as you put it, their AI kicks in and warns people. So I think that's great. But again, I think it just goes back to that whole workflow thing I was talking about. Yep. <laughs> but hey, uh, listen, if you're just tuning in, you are listening to Healthcare IT Today with John Lin and Colin. Today, we are talking about whether AI will eat healthcare. And uh, I think, John, so far, we have to say it's uh, looking like it probably will in terms of the amount of places that it's being sprinkled upon. AI is hungry and healthcare has a lot of places that need to be fed. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Well, let, let's, let me ask this question in reverse. Um, you know, where don't you think AI will have an impact on healthcare? Or is there an aspect of healthcare that you just don't think AI is going to apply? 
Yeah, I actually think, you know, what you tweeted from the ECW conference from uh, their CEO that, hey, this is going to augment. It's not going to replace the doctor. And and it seemed like that was their focus. You can comment if you want. But, you know, that seems where, you know, it's like at least for the next five years, most of it is going to be how do I make you more efficient rather than how can I replace you? Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And and by the way, thanks for pointing that tweet out. Um, at the at the Clinical Works um, uh, user conference that they had there for the FQHCs and the community health centers, um, you know, they definitely were showing off AI almost in every aspect of their application. Right? They have totally jumped in with both feet, swinging in the deep end of AI. And you know, I you know, I give them kudos um, for doing that, just to, to embrace it so much. But yeah, I think the the where the audience was most excited for AI was again on the administrative stuff and on the workflow stuff. I think they were sort of like, oh, that's cool that it can do some sort of a diagnosis enhancement, but and clinical decision support stuff. But we're probably not gonna. You could tell there was some like, ah, eh, not sure we're ready for that. Not sure my docs are gonna <laughs> really go for that. Um, but uh, yeah, I. I I agree with you. I think in the next five years, we probably won't see as much movement towards diagnoses and treatment, at least for the most severe cases. I don't think AI is going to touch that yet. I don't think we are culturally ready for that yet. Yeah, that's um, the issue. Yeah, and I, th- I think the technology might get there, but I think, you know, also, I'm not sure the data is there yet to even start to begin that, right? Like, you know, we, we're not asking the questions of, what what was trained and what was used to train that data, right? Like, you know, anyway, we can get into that in a minute. But but yeah, I do think the clinical side is probably one area where we won't see as much movement on the AI. However, I think on every other aspect of healthcare, we're going to see a tremendous amount of use of AI. Yeah, and I would just add a nuance, I guess, with the clinical side, I think we're going to see it applied, but there's always going to be a human in the loop for the next certain period because of liability. And so the AI is going to present the information to a human who then says, yes, I agree or I disagree. Although, you know, it, it, that that's going to be interesting to see how that evolves, right? Uh, you know, we've seen this initially in the radiology space where they actually showed that the radiology images can be analyzed by AI more effective than a human, but for, you know, we've talked about this before on the program that for some reason we expect hundred percent perfection from AI, but we don't from humans. So that's the cultural you know, thing that we need to overcome, which is that better does not have to be perfect. And, and, you know, that's, that's a problem for a lot of people culturally in a, in a culture and environment where we do no harm. So I, I think that's where it'll be interesting. Plus, you know, I'm sure there's going to be stories of AI gone rogue, right? You know, whether it's a chat bot on a, on a healthcare website that kind of goes rogue and then everyone's going to just recoil, right? And, you know, it, it, you know, this is the lesson we learn all the time with technology and we have to be careful of. And I think we should be aware of that. Hey, just because AI makes one mistake that is gross and egregious and, and maybe even had an awful outcome. Well, if it's done 10,000 before that, that we're more efficient and that we're great and provided a great service, let's not, you know, throw out the baby with the bathwater. Yeah, it, it, actually, the, the, the CEO of um, Juresh uh, at uh, ECW, hopefully I pronounced that right, <laughs> um, yep. you know, he, he gave a great example to temper everything that he was about to show, right? He was clearly excited about AI, but right. he, he did the example where he typed into 
you know, a chat GPT like interface and said, Hey, write me a, a piece about, you know, I think it was said his, his daughter or his, uh, his niece, uh, and her wonderful experience working at ECW. And it just wrote, came back with this giant paragraphs of stuff, right? And it drew in some examples of what the work he did. And then basically he said, yeah, but they don't work for ECW, right? Like, so this AI generated this wonderful output, uh, but the input was flawed, right? It was just, it wasn't, everything it generated, it wasn't true. And right. so he said, so you got to keep in mind that this is still a problem. Like it doesn't know to come back and say, hey, actually, wait a minute, you're 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 the person you're asking me about doesn't actually work at the company you asked me to write about so i'm going to spit that back because the answer right now it just it assumes that is true and just writes that um so that i think that was a really good example to show there are some limitations on where we can apply ai and to your point john i think diagnosis we're perhaps not ready for it to fully take over yet so yeah, i think so I think the words that he, they used was right now AI is co is a co-pilot, not a pilot, right? It's the mm. assist. It's not, nice. it's meant to be sort of, you know, but a human being is always going to be there at the controls and we want to help that human being be as effective and as efficient as possible, not take over for them. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I think it's interesting just the, the, the way that we're going to depend on it or not depend on it, right? <laughs> because you know, it's true. AI doesn't know what the truth is, right? It just knows what it's been told before. And so I think we're going to go through this interesting evaluation where we say, can we implement this and are patients safe, right? There's a lot of interesting ethical questions there. And there was a recent study that I just saw the headline on Twitter. So, you know, I haven't dove into it, but it made sense intuitively when I saw the headline that said, even those that were trained radiologists, when the AI said something, they assumed it was right. And, and that could be a very dangerous thing. And it's something we should understand about AI that at some point, if it has been right, you know, the first 50 times that we've done it, then we start to assume that it's perfect and that it's right and that it's infallible. And that becomes its own problem. Right. That we, you know, when we're not skeptical of it and we're, we, we, you know, we, and we've seen this in, in other clinical decision support, uh, in healthcare, right? Where a doctor has gotten so used to the drug to drug interactions, drug to allergy interactions that they stop thinking about it because they just trust the system so well. And so we're going to go through this evolution of how much should we trust or should we not? And it will go back and forth. You know, the other thing that I think is interesting on this kind of ethics and equity, and this may be worth a, of a whole other episode <laughs> in a future episode, but it's whether AI considers all populations. And there's a double-edged sword with AI when it comes to equity, because in many ways it doesn't discriminate. Uh, you know, on the populations because it literally spits out whatever it has. But if the data is bad, then it can discriminate. So it's going in and saying, well, does the data represent the actual populations that we're dealing with? And then assuming that it does, it could be actually a, a good boon to health equity. So, you know, that's the other AI consideration is what populations are, is the data coming from? Yeah, and I think that to me is the biggest challenge. And actually, that was a big topic of discussion at the SAS Innovate Conference I was just at. That's okay. um, the the SAS company, SAS Institute, uh, and they had uh, a VP. They actually have a VP of ethics um, uh, over their their data and their AI. And uh, his name is Reggie Townsend. Fantastic person. Loved speaking with him. And he brought this he brought this very thing up. And to the 
to the extent where SaaS actually has a dashboard that you can point at an AI and it, and the data it was based on um, that would tell you how biased it is or isn't, how representative it wow. is and isn't, given on some input parameters. And he was saying, yeah, like in healthcare, we are far from having that perfect set of data. He goes, now that shouldn't stop us from using AI, but it should temper how we use it. And, and, you know, the example we both laughed at was, you know, hey, this AI would work really well for men over 40 and who are white and who live in a very rich neighborhood. Now, if <clears throat> there's nothing wrong with an AI built like that, if you know that that was what it built on, because, hey, for that population, it could be very, very helpful. But when you try to apply it to an FQHC, right, in their population, okay, that that's when you have to go, okay, maybe I can't assume that AI is going to be perfect in that situation. Because what he was, what he brought up a great point is we, we, we definitely complain about the fact that the data can be biased, but waiting for the data to be unbiased is also a, a not possible. It's always going to have biases. So he goes, what, what his argument he was making, which was very astute is we just need to know the limitations of the data it was based on. And then we as the humans can make the decision of how we apply that AI tool, which I think is the smarter way to go. Yeah. Well, and I think it's uh, Visual DX taught me about this, that if you have to make a deliberate effort to get the data. So I, I think in their case, they needed the data from people of color. And it turns out in their Visual DX, which diagnoses based on the skin and a picture of the skin, you know, like if you go and make deliberate efforts to get the data from you know, people of color, which, you know, obviously in the skin is a very big thing, right? Like you can solve this problem, right? Like, and so that's the other piece of it. Sure. One, understand what the limitations are and that most clinical trials and research is done in urban cities that are largely white male, you know, whatever, right? Like that have that discrimination, you know, not discrimination, but that, that, uh, that population, right? That you can solve that by going out and getting the other data and, and making a a actual effort to get that data to solve the problem for all populations rather than just the one that's convenient for you. No, and I, I go back to something that Charlie Harp said from Clinical Architecture, right? He's totally into data quality. You know, he, that was his basic uh, warning was to say, look, we're building AI and it's wonderful and it is great, but the data that we're basing a lot of AI on is not perfect. And in fact, it's probably poor quality when you think about it, right? Like there's a lot of manipulation that has to happen to make it normalized. We don't really know sometimes the origin of these data sets that are available for to train these AIs, right? So we might even not even be aware of the bias that's in it. Um, and he goes, so that that is a big problem. And you know, what he was basically saying is that we, you know, we need to invest more in that data quality, but also in the what are called data origination or data um, pedigree. We need to understand where this data comes from. So we may not, not want to, we, we can't know maybe um, who it was specifically, but we start, we do need to start to look at what was the race? What was the ethnicity? What's the social economic of this person that we're looking at to train this AI on? Because all of those can influence the AI's benefit on the other end. Yeah, and then you have companies like Veranovum that are using AI to do solve the problem that you said, which is actually improve the quality of the data, which goes exactly to this topic, which is AI is eating everything in healthcare, whether it's cleaning the data, whether it's outreach. I, I, I literally can't think of any piece of, of healthcare IT that's not getting touched by AI. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I think, John, we've definitely identified the fact that we could have a whole episode just talking about this last topic around ethics and use cases and things like that. But 
That is all the time we have this week for this episode. So thanks to all of you who've tuned in to this episode of Healthcare IT Today. And for more details about our show, you can check out the programs page at healthcarenowradio.com. And please share your comments and engage with the community at healthcareittoday.com. And of course, on social media using the hashtag HITSM. I'm Colin Hung, along with my health IT collaborator, John Lin. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode, and we'll see you on the next one.